Well, today we've been, we, we continue our study in God's Word in the book of Joshua. You remember that the book of Joshua is all, the, recounts the story of how the Israelites, this people of God, who had been in slavery for over 400 years and wandered in the wilderness an extra 40 years, finally were entering into the land of promise, this place where God had promised hundreds of years previously to Abraham that they would have for their very own, a land where they would be free to worship, a land to be filled with the glory of God. Today, as we look at that story, we're actually looking at something that I think is pretty applicable for us today as a church, this idea of rituals and traditions and things that we often associate with church. Um, it's ritual time at the universities, right? The university students have come back. Everybody's learning alma maters. Everybody's learning those kinds of things. And I teach a class on religion, and I have students tell what is the key uh, elements of their faith. Some people talk about doctrines and what they believe in their religious tradition. Some people talk a lot about um, the relationships of the Sunday school teachers or mentors or family and how church or, or synagogue or their religion is all about family. But some people talk about the traditions, the rituals. Do you have those? Do you have some of those you're looking forward to? We all have routines, right? We're people that need routines. You know, we brush our teeth in the morning, and hopefully you also brush your teeth in the evening, maybe more than once. Flossing, are we doing that? Okay. We're supposed to be flossing, and we get reminded if you don't by our, our dentist. We have these routines, these habits that are helpful, but we also have these more traditions that we follow, right? These things that we kind of look forward to. I have the picture up there of the family that is, uh, got the matching pajamas. I don't know if you do that. That seems weird to me, but hey, maybe that's your thing. You have their traditions and you're thinking, is he already talking about Christmas? Yeah, I wanted to be early for once. Usually I'm running late, but hey, I thought, you know, everybody else starts Christmas in November, now October, September. You're hearing it here first, right? I'm finally early on something. Okay. We have routines, we have traditions, but we also in our Christian life have spiritual disciplines and maybe rituals, right? What are the spiritual disciplines? These are the things that are like brushing your teeth. These are the things that are like regular exercise. These are the things that help us on a daily basis grow. You hopefully know what some of those are. If you're new to the faith, maybe these are new to you, but prayer, daily devotion, spending time with God, Bible study, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or maybe on your own, or maybe I have a, a friend who listens to a lot of podcasts and sermons that way. Giving and tithing regularly reminds me of, the, of what belongs to God. It all belongs to Him. Witnessing. Has anybody thought of witnessing as a discipline? Whenever I began to realize that I need to say, Lord, would you open a door weekly? I began to see more open doors when I began to make that a discipline in my life. <clears throat> Somebody was asking me about fasting this week. That's not one that obviously I have engaged in a lot, but as a church, maybe we need to do some fasting of different things, whether it's media or food, Lord's Supper. That one should probably have been in the ritual, sorry. Uh, that one goes over there. Uh, but then we have the rituals, the Lord's Supper, baptism, Christmas Eve services, Easter sunrise morning services, weddings, funerals, ordination of ministers. Maybe you have more. Here we have often had a, a traditional meal with our, with our Korean partner congregation. 
Um, we haven't been able to do that for a few years with COVID. But there are things we look forward to, vacation Bible school, these, these rituals and traditions that are part of the church that maybe are part of your life. Is that what it's all about? Are they even important? Well, in Joshua chapter 5, as the people of God, and remember last week, they had just crossed into the promised land. They'd seen God do a miraculous thing and part the Jordan River, standing up the floodwaters so the people could dry, cross on dry ground. They entered the promised land. They took 12 stones, those stones of remembrance, giving thanks for all that God had done and bringing them to this point. The next thing they do as they're facing battles to come, lands to conquer, cities to build, as they were facing all of the work ahead, they stopped. Look at what happens in Joshua chapter 5, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. Okay. Circumcision? We're not going to explain what that is, but right, that has to do with a certain marking of the male. And, and it was a symbol of God's presence. It was a symbol of the covenant relationship. And why are they doing that again? It's kind of a one-time thing. What was going on? Well, the scripture explains it. Look at it, verse 4. Now, this is why he did so. All of those who came out of Egypt, remember 40 years earlier under Moses' leadership, all of those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, well, they died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. Verse 5, all of the people who came out, they had been circumcised. This tradition passed down from Abraham had been followed. This symbol of the covenant, this symbol of relationship with God was continuous in their life. But look what it says. But all of the people born in the wilderness over those 40 years during that journey, they had not. It's something they just didn't do. It's some, I don't know if it was because of inconvenience. I, I don't know if it was just too hard. I, I, they just, or it sort of got forgotten with all of the other stresses of living, kind of camping out for 40 years. Can you imagine anybody doing Labor Day camping? Can you imagine 40 years of camping out? I mean, 40 years of camping out. Perhaps in all of that, they just stopped doing the circumcision. Verse 6, the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all of the men of military age had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. What had happened? Well, instead of going straight to the promised land, the people said, there's giants there. We can't take those cities. We can't follow the Lord. We can't be obedient. And the Lord said, I'm going to have to teach you guys some things. You're going to spend 40 years, and, and this generation will not be in that promised land. You will learn dependence on me, and a new generation that will obey the Lord will be raised up. The next verse continues. For the Lord had sworn to them they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones, verse 7, that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they hadn't been circumcised on the way. And verse 8, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there uh, where they had camped until they were healed. It took a while. It took several days. This was not something that just, you know, you get done, especially for adult males. So why was this circumcision even important? Why was this even something they should do? 
Why was this necessary? I mean, is this an important uh, thing for the people of God, this, this symbol of the covenant? I mean, it's just a symbol after all. We know that because in the New Testament, after Jesus had come, after Jesus had fulfilled God's promises, after Jesus had given this new life to the people of God, thousands of years later, God's good news began to spread to many who were not Jewish, many who were not circumcised, many who had not followed that tradition. And originally in the early church, there was a conflict between those who uh, were Jewish Christians and those who were followers of Messiahs that were not Jewish. And in fact, many of the Jewish Christians said, hey, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but we need you to get circumcised. The entire book of Galatians has a big theme about circumcision, that it is not necessary. It is not important. It is not the symbol. We have been circumcised differently. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are set apart. Circumcision is not really the ultimate ticket into heaven. It's Jesus and his work on the cross. It is not circumcision. So why in the world would this even be important for the people of God to do? Well, number one, it was a symbol. It was a symbol of God's covenant that he had made with Abraham. It was a symbol of the promises that God was going to fulfill for that people, that he was going to complete his plan. And it was also a step of obedience, a step of obedience where God had said to do something. Maybe it is a symbol, but the people needed to respond with, yes, Lord symbol of God's promises, a reminder to them, but also an act of an obedience, an opportunity for obedience. In fact, listen to what it says in Genesis 17 when God instantiates this, this, this symbol of circumcision. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. Now that covenant involved a lot of things. Ultimately, it would involve a lot of rules. But at the beginning, it kind of had one primary rule. Live by faith and have your descendants circumcised. Look at verse 10. This is what God said to Abraham. This is my covenant to you, your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you should be circumcised. This was just part of what God had told them to do. Like I said, in the New Testament, we realize it's not what we have to continue to do, but for them, this was that symbol of covenant. But here's me in my Mr. Pragmatic state. Are you a pragmatist? I, I think I'm ultimately there. I mean, there's the ways we should do things, but ultimately I'm like, does it work? Is it necessary? Can it wait? Do we all, anybody else with me? <clears throat> For me, it's like, how, does the yard really have to be mowed today? That's one of my pragmatic questions. What about edging? How long can you go before you really need? That's just me. Okay, I'm a pragmatic kind of person. I, I, I don't know. I, I, my question is, why now? Why now? Look, you've crossed the Jordan. This was huge. This was celebration time. They had seen the God's power stacking up the waters. They had heard the stories of the parting of the Red Sea, but now they'd seen it for themselves. Can you imagine? I mean, this is time for me, I would be thinking, we need to like get the band out. Let's praise God for a while. We have seen the glory. Getting circumcised seems to be kind of a downer <laughs> in my mind. You're right? Why right now? Okay, the people were excited. 
They were energetic. This is, this is go time. This is crossing the Jordan time. We're ready. This is the promised land. We're finally there. Okay, guys, um, <clears throat> line up over here. We're going to do circumcision. I, I, I'm thinking nobody's excited about that. You're, you're, you're ruining the mood here, uh, Joshua. They're in hostile territory. Everybody knows they're coming. We're going to find out that the cities are trembling in fear, but they are getting ready. They are fortifying. They are collecting their armies. All the kings are making alliances. We'll see that the Israelites get attacked and attacked and attacked because the people are ready. They know they're coming. They know the promises of God. You're in hostile territory. It seems to me that it's a bad idea to take all of your men of military age, your entire military force, and basically put them out of commission for about a week. Anybody think that's a bad idea? What if there's a sneak attack coming over the hill? What, what, what if the enemies are attacking the next thing? Well, let's do this in stages, maybe. Let's do like a, I mean, a third and then another third. No, 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 no. God says do it, and they just did it. It seems like it's a bad idea. It's the wrong time. And not only that, it's going to take some time for the healing. <clears throat> and isn't there work to be done? There's land to be conquered. We're finally here, Joshua. Why are we now stopping? This is, this is, this is go time. It doesn't make sense to me. Why would God stop them? Well, I think there's some things we can learn. I think there's some things that we can learn. Number one is that rituals and traditions actually represent often to us spiritual realities. It's often represent spiritual realities. You heard Aaron say it this morning, that we retell the story. We bring it out again through some of these rituals. They, they represent to us these spiritual truths that we need to be reminded of, but we also need to live out. Here's how it, what it meant for them in Joshua chapter 5. Verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, today, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Okay. What are, what, what's going on here? The language there is very specific, and we can't see it in English, but in Hebrew, it's actually a little bit of a play on words. There's this idea that, the, that, that just like the circumcision is a removal of, of, of this is a removal. There's a play on words. They actually use the same word in this place. It's this idea that, that, that this act of, of circumcision was actually represents this idea that, no, 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 the old is gone and you are going to be my people. The old reproach is gone and you are going to be mine totally. That, that, that you are now my people, committed to my ways, following me. It's a very clear kind of thing if we were reading this in, in its original language. A little bit different for us, but he's trying to explain. Today, that reproach of Egypt is taken away. Brothers and sisters, that is actually a reminder to us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in Jesus, the shame has been taken away. The old man has gone. The old ways are done with. We are to be a new creation, a new people. We are to be God's covenantal people in Christ Jesus. He has done this work. Through Joshua, God is making known to those Israelites, yeah, your forefathers didn't do it right. Yeah, you've been wandering. You grew up 
with the shame of your parents did not do what was right and didn't follow God into the promised land. And you have lived the entirety of your life under some of that weight. Anybody sometimes feel like there's some of that generational stuff that's hanging around? Some of that stuff that you feel like is on you, that, that like, gosh, some of the shame or some of the things. Some of us, though, are also wearing, wearing that shame from our own lives. You know, where you failed, where you just can't get past that, that sin and that, that you've committed, or, or even the, the, the struggle with an ongoing sin. You can't let it go. And here, Joshua is proclaiming to the people, no, today, the Lord says, it's been cut away. It's been rolled away. It's been taken away. That is the same thing that the Lord proclaims to us in Jesus Christ. The shame rolls away. The guilt rolls away. It's gone. In, in um, our Bible study class, I hope you're planning to join us for Bible study. There's a First John study. There's a Going Deeper study. There's a, a study that we've been having um, on this book called The Good and Beautiful God. In that book, uh, the author tells the story uh, of, of a person he was talking to in church, and this person was saying that they could not get past certain says they couldn't trust that, that God's judgment wouldn't come. You heard Aaron's story of a colleague that just can't get past the, oh no, what if I do something wrong? What if I haven't been good enough? Brothers and sisters, their sins have been paid for if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you allowed it to roll away? Baptism is one of those symbols for us as believers. Um, baptism is one of the two ordinances that we have um, in this church uh, that we believe that these are specific ones that Jesus gave us to do. And in baptism, it specifically allows us to, to symbolize a spiritual reality that should have already occurred in our life, a spiritual reality of Jesus taking away our sins and us giving ourselves to a new life. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 speaks about this, and he says, look, it is washing not of dirt from the body, but of a pledge of a good conscience to God. We, the, the, the shame has been rolled away. The guilt has been rolled away. We baptize people not because we're trying to give them a bath. You've got homes to get a bath in. Go get a shower. But here we pledge ourselves to God. It's a reminder of a spiritual reality. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6. He says, or don't you know that each of us or all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is why we baptize. We baptize because it is a visible symbol of a change that has occurred. The forgiveness of Christ has come. The Holy Spirit is there. We are washed. We are reborn. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit. And now we are pledging ourselves in a new way to Jesus Christ, to live this new life that he has given to us. We died with him. That's why we put you all the way under the water, right? It's like a burial. We put you in the ground, and up you come. It symbolizes the new life. Do you remember yours? Do you remember your time of baptism? I got to be honest, I was a little young, and I was a little nervous. I think my feet fell up under me, and I was going under, and he was pushing me, and I was going down, and I lost control, and I was flipping around, and I think I made a big splash. But the truth of the matter was, it began a promise, a promise I haven't kept, a promise I've so often failed at. 
but a promise first from God that my sins have been taken away, and now a promise I am his. I am going to live this way. I'm going to live the new life that he's given us. Rituals and traditions help symbolize a spiritual reality in our lives. But second, they also repeat those spiritual truths. They repeat those spiritual truths. I think Aaron, Aaron used the word regurgitate. I don't know regurgitate. Maybe not the best choice, but I know what you meant. I know what you meant. It's repeated, right? It's to recite it. It's to say it again and again and again. Why do we need that? You know why. You know why. <clears throat> Anybody get sent to the grocery store with a list? And it's like three things. And you don't even write it down because you know you're going to remember those three things. I can always remember two of them. I mean always two. I can always remember two of them. It's, I, it's a guarantee. Now, it's not always the same two, but I can always remember two. I, I don't know why I can't ever remember three, but I can always remember two. <clears throat> then you get out your phone. Honey, uh, what was I supposed to pick up? You know how bad our memories are. You know how bad it is and how the distractions of this world pull us away. We need constant reminders. Look what it says in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 5. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, which by the way was the time they were supposed to celebrate the Passover, it says the Israelites celebrated the Passover. They stopped. Not only did they have this time of circumcision, they didn't move forward until they celebrated the annual festival of the Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, when the Passover first time happened, this time when God brought the people out of Egypt, that's what the Passover symbolizes. It says, God speaks and says, this Passover is a day you're to commemorate. It is for the generations to come. You're supposed to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. God gave this specific instructions about what they're supposed to do with a lamb one year old, about what they're supposed to do with the evening meal, what, uh, the eating of the bitter herbs, the prayers that they're supposed to pray to remind them of the salvation that came in the Old Testament, the salvation from slavery, all of which was a symbol leading to the cross, all of which was a symbol of the time when Jesus, our Passover lamb, our sacrifice would once and for all give himself. It was an incredible ongoing symbol, ongoing witness of how God would save them and how God had saved us all. I should reverse that. How God had saved them and how God would save us all. It was a constant reminder. It was a constant annual celebration. And it coincides, of course, with Jesus' actual death on the cross and his resurrection that we celebrate every year at Easter, but we also celebrate every day. Now, in God's providence, in his wisdom, in his foresight, in the fact that God just knows the future because he, I mean, he's past, present, future. God is, and God knows already what was going to happen. He says this in that same Exodus chapter 12 as he's speaking to Moses. When you enter the land, verse 25, that the Lord has promised and will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. He's not just saying keep on observing it there like while you live there. He's saying that too, but it's almost like the timing was perfect. You crossed over, and when you get there, by the way, make sure you go ahead and celebrate the Passover. Go ahead and stop and remember. Go ahead and recount my salvation. Go ahead and remind the people of what I have done. 
Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons we do these celebrations is to speak to ourselves and remind ourselves what, we, what God has done, but it's also for our children. It's also for our grandchildren. It's also for those who would come. It's an opportunity to share the message of God, the message and the story of salvation again and again. Look in Exodus 12, God says, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Why do you do this again and again? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. He spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians and ultimately led them into the salvation and freedom that God would bring. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us that the, that the Lord's Supper, our second ordinance, the one we celebrate where Jesus on the night of the Passover took the bread, broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you, and took the cup and said, this is my blood of the new covenant that is in my blood. He said, those same acts are used to proclaim the death of Jesus and his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us that. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, that is not the only way we share Jesus. I know some churches and know some pastors that, well, you know, we proclaim, we're a good witness. Every week we do communion or Lord's Supper or something, and that's how we proclaim Jesus. Well, it is one way. We need to tell our friends, our neighbors. We need to tell our coworkers. We need, we need to verbally explain the good news of Jesus. But one of the ways we do it is here at church when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So keep inviting your friends. I hope they ask, when your children ask, why do you do this? Explain what Jesus has done for us. Well, there's a third, there's a third reason I think they stopped right then to celebrate the Passover and to circumcise all the males. Those religions, those traditions, they actually mark moments of spiritual change. They are the places that are supposed to etch in our minds and our hearts, hey, something has happened here. These are those one-time events. These are those marriage ceremonies. These are those funeral services. These are the baptism experiences. They are those moments to say, no, this time something has changed. We're not going back. Look at what it says in verse 11. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, the unleavened bread and the roasted grain. Verse 12, the manna stopped. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they, they ate the produce of Canaan. You see, as the Israelites wandered and camped out for 40 years, how do you feed a million people for 40 years? God had provided daily manna. Now, what is it? Okay, that's a joke, right? Because in Hebrew, the word manna means, what is it? <laughs> they didn't know what it was. They were like, hey, what is it? I don't know, but cook it up, put it in a frying pan, see how it works, throw it in the pot, see how it boils. Hey, it's working. Manna, I don't know. <laughs> I'll have some, I'll have some of the what is it. I, I don't know if, if you're opening a restaurant, I would not name any of your uh, courses, what is it? <laughs> We're gonna have what is it today? <laughs> it's a big guess, it's a, who knows? I don't think anyone's ordering. They had manna every day. God provided for them. They saw a visible reminder every day of God's presence and of his provision in their lives. In some way, manna was an incredible grace. 
but it's not where they were supposed to stay. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. God had given them a promise of a land that, that they would see his provision in a different way, his provision in the rains, his provision in the harvest, his provision that took faith not on a daily basis, but more like spread out sometimes. This was a different challenge. This was something new. Guys, our rituals and traditions are often supposed to mark those moments, those moments of change when things are different. Marriage is often those, right? I remember talking to one of the young students that I was doing uh, a wedding ceremony for and, and helping them understand, listen, in that I do moment, that person, this person sitting next to you becomes your closest living relative. It's not your parents anymore. It's not your brother and sister. It's them. You're married, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, it's a big change. I was with my mother-in-law uh, this past summer, and uh, she has recently lost uh, an aunt and um, some of her sisters, and she only has one sister left, and she said, she's the only one of my family left. And I thought, we're, we're still here. <laughs> uh, your husband's still here. Your closest relative is actually your husband. This has changed. Something new has happened. I know you grew up with him. I know how, that's, when, that's, of course, what she's talking about, that, that, that closeness of that relationship. But now something new has happened. When we have our funerals, we celebrate when the believer goes to be with the Lord. It's grief for us, but they've entered the glory. When we do wedding ceremonies, we celebrate the new family that has become that central family. And when we do baptism together, we celebrate the fact that person has been born again, not at the baptism ceremony, but when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they are regenerated, they are renewed, the Holy Spirit comes within them. So as a church, we're going forward, we're going ahead where God is leading us in the next months and years ahead. What spiritual traditions, what rituals need to be part of your life and your family? That's my big question. Are you doing those things, those disciplines that are helping you grow? Are you experienced those spiritual realities and doing the things like a baptism that you need to take part in to remind and testify to what God has done, or Lord's Supper, where we are reminded of the gift that Christ has given to us. What needs to be in your family? For us as a larger church body, what traditions, what things have we done? We haven't gotten to do vacation Bible school in a few years. Is that what we need to do again? Or is there a new way to do it? What traditions need to be there? What ways do we need to go forward in our own families or in the families of others? What spiritual traditions, that next slide, is what spiritual traditions need to be in our part of your family and in your family. And even the next slide, I want to get you to consider this. What needs to change? What needs to change? And what needs to stay the same? <clears throat> there was a particular year I remember. Uh, <clears throat> remember, I mentioning Christmas early, <laughs> earlier than most. But uh, there was a particular Christmas coming up, and actually this was way in advance. It was April. And all of a sudden we realized that certain family members were going to be in Hawaii because they were stationed there in the military. 
and my parents were going to be there doing ministry things. So my parents and like my brother-in-law's brother and his wife, and they were all going to be in Hawaii. And all of a sudden there were plenty of places for everybody to stay. And my parents were like, hey, come. And so my brother and his family were going and my other brother was going and <clears throat> my brother-in-law and his family were going to go see their brother and sister. And all of a sudden it was like, hey, do you realize what's going on here? Everybody's going to be in Hawaii except my wife and I and, and her mother and father. Well, it's April. This is easy to fix. There's plenty of bedrooms. They've got plenty of places to stay. Anybody, anybody see my plans? You see what's happening, right? I'm thinking it's Christmas in Hawaii for everybody. Mele Kamiki Maka, man, let's go. I mean, so that means Merry Christmas in Hawaii. I, I'm ready to go. Don Ho, the song's in my head. I'm already, I mean, I've already got the flights. I'm, I'm looking them up. I'm like, let's just get your parents and let's go. And, and my wife was hesitant. She said, oh, I, don't, I don't know that we can. And, and the more we talked about it, her mom really was not really so open to it. And it was what the traditions, because we had traditions. That, that there was the Christmas Eve service, and afterwards we always eat ham biscuits and, 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 and the ribbon jello and, 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 the, and the peas, and they were good. And I mean, it's a good tradition. And we celebrate Christmas Eve together. And my family, you know, there was the opening of the presents and that kind of thing on Christmas morning. It works out pretty good. We can go see both parents. One does Christmas Eve, one does Christmas Day. Perfect. Thank you, God. Um, but does it have to be that way? Well, for them it was. It was the value. And I can remember sitting there that Christmas. It was just the four of us. Everybody else was in Hawaii. And I was thinking, well, the, the ham biscuit is good. I was thinking Kahlua pork, but hey, hey, hamburger, ham biscuits, you know. Brothers and sisters, as we go forward as a church, we need to consider what traditions we need to keep, what traditions are, are and what things that we need to change. What are things that we've done in the church that, that, that this is good? And, and where do we need to, to, to make alterations for a new generation to be more effective? To, to, now, let's be clear. Jesus gave us two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're not changing those. Those need to stay the same. Jesus commanded us to do those. We are going to do this. We might do it in a different way a little bit. We may do it. But God gave us a command to follow as a symbol of his people. But other things we do, when we do worship, how we do Bible study, those things might need to change. So today, I challenge you. Number one, have we been faithful in telling the story through our rituals and traditions? Are we open to what is new? Are we open to the new ways that God may be leading us? How will God use what might become new traditions, new ways in the life of this congregation? This morning, we're going to celebrate and proclaim. We're going to celebrate and proclaim. That's the last slide. We're going to celebrate and remember what Jesus had done for us. Today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. What was it? Well, on the night Jesus was betrayed, the Apostle Paul tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. So before we take the supper, I want to invite, uh, if you need, um, if you didn't receive elements, um, the, the ushers are, are with us, Dick will come around and if somebody needs uh, some, just slip up your hand. Um, but let's take a moment to examine ourselves to remember what Christ has done, to remember that he gave himself fully for us, that his body was broken on the cross, that he endured the insults, he endured the ridicule, he did this for you. Take a moment 
to consider what Jesus has done. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift, the gift of your body, which was broken for us. We remember your sacrifice. We remember what you've done. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Scripture tells us that in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you take a moment to remember what Jesus did for us, how he's bled for us, how his blood and his death ultimately paid the penalty for sins that we might be forgiven, that the reproach has been rolled away, that we walk in a newness of life. Remember the sacrifice and the covenant that is in the blood of our Savior Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, Father, God of all creation, thank you that you're a God of covenant. Thank you for your, that you're a God who made a way when there was no way, who gave us your only son that we might become part of your family. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the love. Thank you for all that your son Jesus endured on our behalf. We, we offer ourselves to you again. Renew that new life in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Perhaps for you, you've not decided to follow Jesus yet. This is your moment. You've realized that God is calling you into this new life, that his son died for you, that you might have forgiveness for sins. Maybe today is your day. Or maybe you've decided, no, this is the church I'm called to be a part of, that I want to be here, part of this congregation. I'm going to be at the front. If you want to make a response today, if you need prayer today, the altar is open. We're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what the baptism commitment symbolizes. That's even what, as we remind ourselves through the Lord's Supper, let's sing together. I've decided to follow Jesus.